You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hey, I wanted to say before I get started, today is my wife's birthday, Karen, and just... uh... She's amazing, and I'm married way over my head, and everybody knows that. I know that. So, and people say, "How did you know? How have you been at that church so long?" I said, "Well, they they really like my wife. That's why I've been here so long. It's the real key." But uh, anyhow, we're so glad you're here this morning. Hope you had a great week. And as Pastor Jeremy said, we're sure looking forward to some sunshine this week. And uh, so, anyhow, we're glad you're here. And I want to say hello to our Fenwick Island campus. Would you give our Fenwick Island campus a big hand right now? We love you guys in Fenwick Island. I wanted to say hello in Fenwick Island to Jeff and Gay Wilgus, who is there every Sunday, and also Rebecca Malinsky. Thank you so much, you guys that are part of that campus, and uh, we're excited about being a part of this all together. And so they are experiencing this as we are right now. And also I want to say hello to our online family, and we have so many people online that watch us, and we're so grateful wherever you're listening from, different states, uh, different places, even different countries, we're so grateful that you're part of this weekend's experience at Bayshore. We are in a series called Survivor, and this is based on the books of First and Second Thessalonians. And we are looking at this, uh, this interesting church that's about a year old, brand new church, and they are, you know, they're brand new in the faith, and there is serious persecution all around them. And so this letter is written for this reason. Paul is worried about them, wants to encourage them. Uh, and so he's been so concerned about them that he's dispatched this guy named Timothy, this helper that he had, and he dispatched Timothy to go find out, you know, how they were doing. And then Timothy comes back and says, these people are doing great. They are just doing incredible. So Paul is so encouraged. And he, said, he says in the book, he said, now we really live knowing that you guys are okay and that you're doing all right. So today we're going to be looking at uh, one verse in particular. And we're going to be looking at uh, verse 3. Verse 3 of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says this, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the, uh, the big question Paul had was, are these people still walking with the Lord? Are they still walking with Jesus? Or had they quit because it's been too hard? And so that's what uh, Paul is concerned about. And so uh, he's really worried about, are they sticking to the faith? Are they staying faithful to the faith? Are they uh, maintaining their relationship with Jesus? Now, here's the thing. Uh, how do we know, and how do you know, how do I know if we're really Christians? How do we know that? Uh, what is the, uh, the litmus test to see if we are really legitimate followers of Jesus? That's a, that's a good, good question. How do we know that? Here's what um, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He said, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Examine yourself. The word examine there means to scrutinize, to really look at. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you, real, do you not realize that Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? 
So what is the test? What's the test if we are really, really uh, solid in the faith? Yesterday I, was, uh, I got a new big screen TV. Uh, really excited about it. You know, it's, you know, my kids get bigger TVs, so I have to get bigger, bigger TVs. You know, I'm in a contest with my sons, and they get a 60-inch. I got to go 65. They get a 70-inch. There's a 75-inch now. So, I mean, before it's over, they're going to have a large screen like an outdoor theater, you know. But I put this uh, TV up, and uh, one of my friends uh, a while back had helped me build some studs to fit in this fireplace setting. And so I had to screw in the, the studs and all that and uh, got the TV all you know, set up, and uh, it was just really good. But I was really, really worried about these studs. Are these studs strong enough? And I'm banging on them to make sure because I'm hanging this little piece of gold, my TV, up there. So I want to make sure that the studs are strong enough. I had to test them. So when you think about your relationship with Jesus and this whole idea about you being saved or, or having salvation, how do you know for sure that you have salvation? How do you know that you are really, really saved? Paul said in 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. So he, you know, there's nothing more important to make sure uh, of than your salvation. So there's a couple of ways that we could think about that. Um, you know, back in when I was in, uh, in the 70s, there was this, you know, bumper stickers were in the 70s, Christian bumper stickers. I don't know if anybody's here, you know, old enough to remember Christian bumper stickers. I never put them on my car because I wasn't a good enough driver. But I, uh, I, you know, there was these, there was just some of them were so lame. But there was one that said, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And boy, that's a convicting, uh, you know, uh, bumper sticker. So what is the evidence that we're Christians? You know, sometimes we think, here's maybe the test. Here's maybe, here's some theoretical tests we have. One would be, you know, I'm a Christian because I said the prayer. I'm a Christian because I said the prayer. I made that confession, you know, that sinner's prayer. And, and that if you're in Christian ease and you understand the Christian world, there's a thing called the sinner's prayer, where we pray the sinner's prayer, where we, you know, we ask the Lord into our life, we accept him as being our Lord, and we say this prayer, and it's based out of uh, Romans 10, 9 through 11, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So that's a very legitimate way to come into the kingdom of God. But maybe you say, well, I said the prayer. Is that evidence that I'm really Christian? Is that evidence I am really Christian? Well, Jesus said this. He said, not everyone, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. He said in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So sometimes we think maybe we said the prayer, and here's the thing that, you know, after pastoring for all these years and being around church since I was 12 years old, I know that some people say the prayer. They say the prayer, but they, they don't really walk it out. I mean, they like say the prayer is an emotional moment. They've sang 450 verses of just as I am, and they've told all these sad stories, and, and somebody says the prayer, but they kind of drift from the faith, and they never really walk with the Lord, and all of us know people like that. So I would say that a person that said the prayer, and there's no legitimate evidence that maybe the prayer didn't work for them. 
And maybe the reason it didn't work for them is there is a very interesting caveat in the prayer. It says that if we confess that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Now, that is, I think we kind of skip over that. That's not like just Jesus' name, Lord. It's the function that he has in our life. Lord is kurios in the Greek. If you're new to the faith and if you're like a seeker, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So the word for Lord is kurios, and it means master. It means if you're going to become a Christian, if I'm going to become a Christian, it's, we're all in. We give everything. There's nothing we hold back. He becomes the sole focus of our life, and the Lord is everything. That's how you come into the kingdom. And we lower the bar so much in modern Christianity. We lower the bar and, you know, give Jesus a try. Give Jesus a try. If you give Jesus a try, it's never going to work. You have to make him Lord of your life. He has to be absolute Lord of your life. I went skydiving one time. It's based on a sermon illustration. I was desperate, so I did this sermon illustration. I went skydiving at the Laurel Airport. And, uh, you know, I look, out the, uh, I look out the window and I see, you know, 20,000 feet below, I see the city of Laurel. And, man, I'm, I didn't want to jump out, you know, but the guy that I was tethered to pushed me out. So I was flying through the air. And, I mean, it was like all in. There was no going back. So in order to become a Christian, there has to be that lordship factor. I don't think, I was raised hearing about make Jesus your savior. And I don't think that you can be really legitimately saved by making Jesus your savior. That's not really a biblical concept. The biblical concept is in order for you to really become a Christian, you have to make Jesus Lord of your life. So it's possible for somebody to just say the prayer, to kind of just say the prayer and not give Jesus their life and make him Lord of their life and not really be saved. So I'm not sure the prayer, just the prayer, the prayer is important, and we probably will pray the prayer today if anybody wants to receive the Lord. The prayer is important, but the prayer has to be prayed with your heart and has to be prayed with making Jesus the Lord of your life. Now, uh, another thing that I, I think another test we could have is what I call the goosebump test. The goosebump test. How do I know if I'm a Christian? Well, I feel the Lord. I feel goosebumps. And sometimes people, you know, base their assurance on knowing Jesus based on the goosebump test. Am I getting goosebumps? And do I feel the Lord? And that's a big, big thing. I know that there are seasons in my life where I probably don't feel much at all. I just kind of going through life and I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to church, and I don't feel something particular. There's, there are times when I really feel the Lord. I was riding down the road the other day in my truck and I was just thinking about Jesus and I was thinking about the Lord and I, I didn't have like goosebumps but I have this deep deep peace inside that I just felt so good about my life because God has been so good to me the Bible says in the book of Isaiah he whose mind is stayed upon the Lord he will keep him in perfect peace and I was just thinking about the Lord and I sensed peace from the Lord so sometimes we think, you know, that the test of my Christianity is do I feel goosebumps and do I feel things? You know, if you go to a Christian concert, you know, listen, let me just say this. I love Christian concerts and, you know, uh, you know whatever Christian people you like to go hear at concerts, it's awesome. They're incredible. I mean, just jumping up and down. I was at, you know, uh, David Crowder a few years ago at uh, the fair and I was just jumping up and down with everybody. It just felt so wonderful. So good, but listen, the Christian life is not one ongoing Christian concert. 
There's times when it's just like just being faithful and reading the word and all that. It's just like that's just what it is. And your goosebumps do not verify that you're a Christian. You may have them or you may not have them. It's not the real uh, proof that you're a Christian. Um, when I was raised in a Pentecostal church, my dad was a Methodist, and then we became Pentecostals, which was a lot more fun. And uh, we, we got into, you know, there was kind of, you know, interesting services. And I remember sitting in my dad's church, and there, he had this evangelist, and this guy was like frothing at the mouth and waving his hands like he's fighting a bunch of bees, and he was just like, you know, preaching wild. And he comes down the aisle. I'm sitting in the pew. I've never seen a man preach like this. And he comes right beside me, and he jumps up, and he just wiggles all over, and he turns, and he looks at me. Did you feel that? Well, I have to say I didn't feel that at all, but I was scared to death. Some of you have had experiences like that, but... You know, feeling goosebumps is not the validation of your Christianity. So if you don't feel anything, you know, think about this. David, who was the man after God's own heart, in Psalm 22, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This man who was, had a heart for God felt forsaken by God. And there's times when we feel that. I was at Canham Yards a number of years ago when my boys were little. We went to an Orioles game. So we used to go watch the Orioles play, and we loved to watch Cal Ripken play, and uh, just loved Canham Yards. And uh, we got all these autographed balls from Cal Ripken. My little son Joel, he'd run down there, you know, bat and practice and get these signed baseballs. And I remember being at Canham Yards one summer night, and there was a game. I remember who the Orioles were playing. But before the game started, they had the flag raised. The American flag and some wonderful singer sang the Star Spangled Banner. Now, if you've been to Canham Yards, if you look just over Canham Yards, that big, uh, that big uh, warehouse there, right behind there is Fort McHenry. That's where uh, Francis Scott Key wrote the Star Spangled Banner. And this lady on this beautiful night, summer night, begins to sing the Star Spangled Banner, and all of a sudden, I had goosebumps. I began to feel like an American. I began to feel so thinking about the history of our country and think just across the bay there was where this song was written. And I just had this incredible patriotic moment. But the fact was that moment where I felt patriotic and I had the goosebumps was not the moment that made me a citizen. I was already a citizen of this wonderful country. I just felt it at that moment. So it's possible to be a citizen of the kingdom of God and not always feel it. Your feelings do not validate that you're a Christian. Um, there's a great illustration of, uh, of the locomotive and the boxcar. I think we've got a picture of this. You've got the locomotive, you've got the boxcar, and then you've got the caboose. The locomotive represents the facts that you're saved by faith uh, and you're saved, you know, by what Jesus has done for you. That's the facts. Your faith is in the facts, and the caboose is your feelings. Your feelings are the result of your faith in the facts. And so you don't always have the feelings. Somebody wrote this about this, about this train illustration. The train will run with or without the caboose. However, it would be useless to attempt to pull the train by the caboose in the same way, as Christians, we do not depend on feelings or emotions, but we place our faith in the trustworthiness of God and the promises of his word. So I'm a Christian, 
if I've made Jesus Lord of my life when I feel like a Christian and when I do not feel like a Christian. The last test would be, the first test, of course, is, you know, the prayer. I prayed the prayer. Second test is feeling goosebumps, you know. That's, these are, you know, kind of false tests. And then you've got, the, uh, then you've got this test. Uh, I signed the pledge in the church test. I joined a church. I joined a church. Now, everybody should join a church. Everybody should be a part of a church. You know, it's very biblical to be a part of a church, but joining a church does not make one a Christian. It is not. And when you get to heaven, you stand before the Lord. If you whip out your Bayshore membership card, it's not going to do you any good at all. It's like, it's like me going to a museum and getting Confederate money and going to Food Line and trying to buy milk and bread. It's not legitimate. You're a part of the church because you know Jesus. You don't join the church in order to go to heaven. So that's a false test. So then what are the tests that I'm really a Christian? Paul gives them right here. He gives three things that reveal that we're really Christians. First of all, we know we're a Christian, he said, because of our work of faith. Notice what he says in verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians. Here's what he says. It's very clear. He says, we remember before our God your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by the hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So our faith is legitimized, and we know that we're Christians by those three things. First of all, our works of faith, our labor of love, and our endurance or perseverance. So those are the three things. How do I know I'm a Christian? It's works of faith, it's labor of love, and it's perseverance. That's what shows, according to Paul... That's why he knew these people had, the, the message he had preached to them, the gospel had really taken. So the first thing is works of faith. Now here's the interesting thing about works of faith. We are not saved by works, but works validate that we have been saved. We're not saved by works, but works validate that we have been saved. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, saved by grace, through faith, not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. In verse 9, not by works, we're not saved by works, so that no one can boast. Then verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, which is the word poemo. We are God's poem. He's created us to make a, a wonderful poem in life. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So if I'm really a Christian... I'm going to produce good works. It's going to change how I live. I'm going to live a life of good works. And it's going to come out of my faith. It's works produced by faith. Not works produced by guilt. Not works produced by guilt or obligation. See, some people like think, you know, gosh, I'm really messing up in my life, so I just need to start going to church. I need to try better, and I'm going to help little old ladies cross the street. I'm going to try to do better. That's works produced by guilt or obligation. Ours is works produced by faith because we have put our faith in Jesus. When I was, uh, Karen and I lived in Florida when we went to school, Bible college, and we had in the backyard, we had we lived in this little miserable house, and uh, we, we lived in this bad part of the neighborhood, uh, the city. And, but in, this, in our backyard of our house, we had two giant pecan trees. Now, I don't know if you say pecan 
or pecan? How many say pecan? Raise your hand. How many say it correctly? You say pecan. (laughs) But these pecan trees, uh, we would lay in bed on Saturday morning, and, uh, and we had this garage in the backyard with a tin roof. And we could hear the pecans drop off the tree and hit that tin roof and then roll into our yard. And we would go out there and we would pick up the pecans and uh, we would, you know, crack them and then roast them and put brown sugar on them as our little treat. We just love these pecan trees. Now, these pecan trees produce pecans because they were attached to a pecan tree. A Christian produces works of faith because they have faith in Jesus. It says about Jesus in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how Jesus went about doing good, healing all those that were oppressed of the devil and helping people. How Jesus went about doing good. When you know Jesus, Jesus comes into your life and he's a part of your life and you make him Lord of your life. Out of that work of faith, when he regenerates you, it's going to fill you with love. It's going to fill you with compassion and you're going to help people and you're going to serve people because serving uh, Jesus comes out of the overflow of your faith. So James says, if you read the book of James, and people, Christians, love the book of James because it's practical to them. And uh, James, you know, is always talking about, you know, good works. And now here's, what, here's the conflict. If you read Romans, the book of Romans, Romans says we're justified by faith, you know, uh, and, and that we're, we receive salvation by faith, not of ourselves, as Ephesians says. But then you read James, and James seems to talk about works. And so Martin Luther called the book of James, Martin Luther, the reformer of the 15th century, he called James an epistle of straw. He wasn't even sure it should be in the New Testament because he saw a conflict between what Paul wrote and what James said because it seems like James was talking about works being saved by works and Paul seemed to be talking about being saved by faith and grace. But these aren't in conflict with each other because real faith produces good works. Here's what he says in James 2, 14, uh, verse 14. James 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? And look at this phrase. Can such faith save them? Can such faith save them? So the faith that saves you legitimate faith will produce good works it will produce good deeds and the word works there the word works is the word ergon ergon in the greek ergon and it's used 172 times in the new testament and 160 some verses and what ergon if you study what ergon means it does mean it does mean helping the poor in fact here's what james says listen to this James 2.14, we just read that. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith? I've said the prayer, you know, I go to church, I have faith, but has no deeds. If there's nothing associated, if there's no pecans coming off that pecan tree, then you have to wonder, is this really a pecan tree? Jesus said also in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you will know uh, them by their works, their deeds. So deeds... Uh, good works come out of our legitimate faith. Here's what he says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? 
can such faith save them? That kind of faith is not going to save them if they don't have any deeds. It's not the right kind of faith. It's not legitimate faith. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If anyone says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. If we have legitimate faith and we have saving faith, it's going to motivate us to be filled with love and to help other people, to help people that are poor, to help people that are struggling, to help people that have needs, that we're going to be motivated that way. So how do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know I'm a real Christian? Am I filled with this capacity to love and help other people? And the word ergon is also used uh, to speak of worship. Uh, so if I'm, if I'm really a Christian, my good deeds are going to manifest itself not out of obligation, works of faith, not works of obligation, works of faith, because I believe in Jesus, I have works of faith that I want to help people. And we have people in our church that every week come here and stock the food pantry. We have people uh, every Wednesday that help serve people. We have people that every Sunday, just about every Sunday, load up the van, go down to the uh, inner city Salisbury and feed the homeless people. Just do that on a regular basis. Last Sunday, I got to work with one of our brothers in their church here. I loved to greet in the parking lot, and it was raining on Mother's Day. And one of our brothers, he's just running out there with an umbrella, helping people to bring them into church. What motivates that? What motivates that loving attitude? It's works of faith. Our heart is enlarged to help other people. Now, the thing is, I think it's possible to be a non-converted person and help other people, but you have to wonder, there's a couple things to think about that. If you have a person that doesn't know the Lord, but they are, we know that people that don't know the Lord do good things for people in the world. We know that. Sometimes it's motivated by, you know, hey, listen, I don't have to be a Christian. There's that attitude. I don't have to be a Christian. I'm good enough myself. And there's a little bit of arrogance mixed in with that. But the very fact that we raised in a, Darwinistic culture, the survival of the fittest, that we have people on this planet that want to help people that are poor and people that are suffering. Where does that come from? It comes from us understanding culturally that we are made in the image of God, and it's Christianity that brought real value to human beings. And the reason anybody on this planet helps other people is because they see the value Somehow they've absorbed in their thinking, even though they don't go to church, they've absorbed into the thinking in this uh, world that there is value. How many know it doesn't matter how much money a person has, it doesn't matter what color their skin, it doesn't matter how much education they have, how many know that everybody is infinitely valuable in the sight of God? Can you say a big amen? We believe that. And if I said that in a sector, if I was making this speech in a sector setting, they would applaud too. Why would they applaud? It's because they have absorbed a value, a Christian value, that every person is valuable. So if I am a Christian, one of the things that's going to happen, I'm going to be filled with love. I'm going to love other people. I'm going to help other people. I'm going to serve other people. I'm going to worship the Lord. You remember that woman that uh, was at the... Uh, uh, that uh, Mark chapter 14, that woman that came to Jesus and had the jar of uh, nard, that wonderful perfume, Chanel 5, whatever it was, 
And she snapped the, the neck off the alabaster box. My men's group, we just studied this this week. And they poured, she poured the, the ointment on the head of Jesus and the feet of Jesus. And it says in this uh, text in Mark 14, this good work or what she's done will be remembered of her. Now the word work there is the word ergon. We're saved unto good works. If a person really, really has met Jesus, there'll be an authentic worship of the Lord. And I was kind of looking around this morning when our music was, you know, people were singing and the Lord was using our band. And I looked around at some of you, and some of you, you're not, you're not extroverted. You're not, you know, you're not, uh, you know, you're not going to raise your hands, but you're just, you're, 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 you're into it. You're thinking about Jesus. And remember this, we never, ever worship worship. We don't worship worship. We don't worship the cool music. We worship the music helps us to think about Jesus. Always think beyond your favorite song you hear on the radio that the band's doing. Always think beyond how good they're doing it. And let, think beyond that to the face of Jesus. And worship Jesus and think about Jesus. It's possible to worship worship. Worship is popular now. And, and it's on Spotify. I mean, worship is just popular. Don't worship worship. Worship Jesus. Think about Jesus. And a truly regenerate person, a person that's really meant Jesus, is a person that has love for Jesus. And here's something, here's my controversial thing to say of the day. I always like to say one controversial thing. I don't think an unregenerate person, a person that doesn't know Jesus, can really worship. I think worship is a good work that the Holy Spirit produces in us. This woman who broke the alabaster box, she adored Jesus. She was worshiping Jesus. It was a good deed. It was an ergon. It was a worship deed. It was a deed that was revealing her regeneration that she had been saved. And I think that a person that's really, really meets Jesus, they have this new capacity to worship and think about Jesus and honor Jesus. And some of you have that. You experienced that this morning. And People can come to Bayshore, and they don't maybe not know the Lord, and we want that. We want people to come here that don't know the Lord. And if you're here this morning, you're just checking it out. That's why we teach the Bible, so you can figure it out on your own. You can come to church and not know Jesus, and you can enjoy the music. This is good. This is cool. This, is great. this sounds good. I mean, do you see that guy on the guitar? He is ripping it. How many sing like, Reagan's just an amazing singer. I mean, how many sing like that in the shower? You sing that good in the shower. But you can enjoy the music. It's cool. It's good. But that's not worship. An ergon, a good work, is when you really, you meet Jesus, you're like that woman. You now, the Spirit of God has created love in you for Jesus and love in you for other people. And so this woman, the good work, her good deed, her good work, saved unto good works, what does that look like? It looks like, you know, uh, helping the poor. It looks like serving, uh, you know, worshiping the, Jesus, worshiping the Lord. That good work is authenticating that you have real faith. And when you just think about Jesus, like that day I was riding in the truck, uh, I was just thinking about Jesus, and that was a form of worship. And I felt his peace. And that's what makes me know I'm really Christian. There's, there's good works that are flowing out of me. 
And this word ergon speaks of putting off darkness, putting off your bad habits, and, and becoming more like Jesus. I memorized, I've been memorizing scriptures recently. Um, I've been memorizing, um, you know, Ephesians 4.22. You were taught regarding your former way of life to put off your old self, which would be corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I put off my old self. When I have met Jesus, the stuff I used to do and the stuff I used to get messed up in and all that stuff, I may stumble in that stuff, but I despise it. I despise being bitter. I despise, you know, being overcome with anything that's of the flesh because I have the Holy Spirit in me and I want to be like Jesus and I may stumble, but I'm going to put aside the deeds of darkness. You come to Jesus how you are, but you don't stay how you are. A true Christian, you know, well, when they come to Jesus, they still got a lot of mess in their life. They still got a lot of baggage. But if you're really a Christian, that baggage is going to fall off. Your good deeds, saved unto good works, those good deeds are going to begin to put aside those sides of darkness a little bit at a time. It's kind of like the, the tree in the backyard, in my backyard, I have two beautiful maple trees in the fall covered with leaves and the wind and the autumn season blows through those limbs of that, that tree and one by limb, one by one, those leaves fall off. And as I follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is blowing in my life and my bitterness has fallen off, my lust has fallen off, my selfishness has fallen off. Leaf by leaf, it's fallen off. How many aren't what you, what you wish you were, but you aren't what you used to be? Can you say a big amen? Amen. Got one minute for two points, and so one, we got actually one minute and 29 seconds, so we got a couple, just a couple things. Your labor of love. Your labor of love. Paul said you have labor of love, and that means Christianity is, here it is. This is it. It's nothing else. This is it right here. It's all this. It's in the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Christianity is about loving God and loving people. Loving God and loving people. The book of John says, 1 John, my favorite book, the book of 1 John says, if you have hate written in your heart towards someone, you are not an authentic child of God because how can you love God who you have not seen if you can't love the people that you can see? How many know that's, how many know, how many just, let's just have a little vote here. To, this is called a comfort vote. How many know it's not always easy to love certain people? Just raise your hand. You want the Lord to just take some people to heaven. Just take them right now, Lord. <laughs> But it is, it is all your labor of love. Paul says you live a life of love. And then finally it says your endurance inspired by hope in the coming of the Lord Jesus. And we'll talk a little bit about the coming of the Lord in this series. Your endurance, and that's the word perseverance, the word hupomeno. And this is very important. I'm going to close with this. How do I know if I'm really a Christian? I have endurance. I don't quit when things are hard, 
I don't quit when things are rough. I don't say, God, if that's how you're going to treat me, I gave my life to you, and if that's what you're going to let me go through, I can forget this Christianity stuff. And this is apropos for the Thessalonians because they're being persecuted. Some of them are probably being killed for the faith. And they are enduring. They're not quitting. They aren't giving up. Paul, before he got to Thessalonica, he had been in Philippi, and they had beat the stuffings out of him. It says in Acts 16, they beat him severely and put him in stocks in the cell in Philippi. And he's sitting there with Barnabas. Their backs are bloody. And there's a pool of blood where they're sitting from their backs being whipped. And Paul didn't turn to Silas and say, well, I don't know about you. We get out of this mess. I'm done with this. We try to serve God. We're telling these people about Jesus. And they're treating us like this. We're done. That's not what happened. Paul said, you know, I'm thinking of this song, Silas. And he started singing. And Silas, you know, he couldn't sing. He was tone deaf, but he started singing too. And they started singing to Jesus in the darkness. How do I know I'm a Christian is when I go through hell, when I go through darkness, when I go through the worst moment of my life, I'm still loving him and serving him. And I say with Job, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. You authenticate your faith by your endurance. This is the fifth point in Calvinism. Calvinism, John Calvin, he had five points of of Christianity. The last point of Calvinism is the perseverance of the saints. It means I do not quit when things are going hard. The word there is the word, the Greek word for uh, endurance is the word hupomeno, and it means to remain under pressure. And my famous illustration for this, it's like... If you have in the summertime, you have your family over and you're sitting at the picnic table and you cut a watermelon open. How many love watermelon? You love watermelon? How many love cantaloupes more than watermelons? How many love watermelons more than cantaloupes? Well, I think watermelons won it. That's interesting. But you got the watermelon and you take the seeds, you know, you take one of those little black seeds, that little slippery seeds, and you got your, your wife or your kids sitting across from you and you're feeling mischievous. So you you line up some seeds, and then you dry your thumb. And you put some pressure on that watermelon seed. And if you push it just right, it will pop out and pop her right in the nose. Hupomeno is the opposite of that. When I'm under pressure, I don't pop out. I don't quit. Let me tell you something. God's going to bless you. He's going to heal you. He's going to do great stuff in your life. He's going to bless you and prosper you. But you're also going to go through some tough times when it doesn't make sense. And where is the Lord and all that? How do I know if I'm a Christian? Paul said, you know, they're being beat. They're being persecuted. And I know you're a Christian because your endurance inspired by hope. Let me read one last scripture. We're three minutes over, and I'll have to deduct it from next week's sermon. So here we go. <laughs> this is a scripture that you need to really key in on. This is such a great scripture. First Peter. It's one of the most important verses of scripture in the New Testament. First Peter 
chapter 1, 6 through 9. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, little while, little while, not forever, nothing's forever, though for a little while you may have suffered grief and all kinds of trials. Why have these come? These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise. Your faith is proven genuine when you persevere in a trial. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. How many have gone through some hard things in your walk with Jesus? I mean, some hard stuff. And he's just kept you and you just kept going. Just raise your hand. That, that's how you know. That's how you know if you're a Christian. It's not your goosebumps. It's your endurance. Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now? If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord and you haven't met Jesus yet, this is a wonderful time for you to do that. Declare him Lord of your life. Confess it with your mouth. Don't just say he's Lord. Make him Lord. And he will transform your life. He'll make your life completely, radically different. Father God, your spirit is moving right now. Online, people that are watching online, people that are in this building, people that are at Fenwick Island right now, the Holy Spirit is moving. And people that aren't in right relationship with the Lord It's not walking forward. It's not doing something dramatic. It's just letting Jesus be Lord of your life and letting him transform you. Lift up your hands right now. Just say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Be Lord of my life. I've been holding back stuff. I've been reserving part of my life for myself, and I'm I'm not really walking in the Spirit. Father God, help me. Help us. Help us all together to make that full commitment to you. And I pray, God, that you'll give assurance to people that are here Assurance to people. Assurance. People that that haven't been feeling the Lord. Give them assurance today that they're persevering. They have works of faith. They have works of faith. There's good things coming out of their life. Give them assurance. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. We have blessed assurance, not because of our feelings, but because of what you did for us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Just say this with me. Lord Jesus, I love you. I want to serve you. I want to help other people. Fill me with your spirit so I can make a difference in this world around me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's all stand together, folks. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.